Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. How are you guys doing this evening? Oh, I have an unction from the Spirit right now. If you don't mind, put the hands on your chest. Put your hands on your chest and say, Father, I receive. I receive your kingdom. I receive your word. May you take root in me. If you're watching us online and you're putting your hands on your chest as well, as I was, if this person is here or if you're here, if there's a couple of you, there's, there's, a, there's a person with a heart condition. And as we're declaring this, you're receiving your healing right now. And, I, I, and God put another person on my heart who had a, a lung problem. It was so quick, so I couldn't really ask what those two things were. But I know you're either in this room or you're watching us online. Please let us know, because I know God is doing at work in your heart right now as we're speaking. So, Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your healing power. And I thank you for renewing and making all of us whole by your word that's always at work in us, that you always look forward to accomplish and bring to fruition in us, Lord. So I counsel every sickness of the enemy. I counsel every attack of the enemy. Right now, in the name of Jesus, be made whole. In the mighty name of God, I pray. Amen. Amen, amen. I'm going to be talking about the kingdom today. Are you ready? Because it's so, it's interesting what's going on in the world today. What amazes me is when Jesus comes on the scene and he's 30 years old, he's about to start his ministry, the first thing he says is the kingdom of God is at hand to set the captives free, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring healing to the nations. And do you know what they do to him for it? They try to throw him off the cliff. And when I look at the world we're living in right now, I'm asking, what is, what is the picture of the true kingdom of God to the church now? If this is the same kingdom, the same church that Jesus tells Peter, it says, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against you. You are planted on the rock. It says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent, and the violent take it by force. I'm here to remind you that the kingdom of God is in you and I. And there's no power of COVID. There's no power of any... Uh, craziness gone in the world. There's no power of war that can overcome what God's Word has set in motion for us. To me, the kingdom of God is the power of God at work in us. I'm going to use a parable from, from the book of Matthew chapter 20. It reads, 
For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his, for his vineyard. And now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. It's so interesting. In verses 3, he goes back and finds another group of people standing in the marketplace in the third hour. I'm skipping through. He goes back again in verses 5. It says, and he went out about the sixth hour and found more people. And in the ninth hour and found more people. And in the eleventh hour and found more people. And he asked them a question. Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said unto them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. Say that with me. Whatever is right, I will receive. Think about that for a moment. Whatever is right, I will receive. Whatever the landowner, whatever the owner of this has for me, I will receive. Let's keep going. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to the steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning from the last to the first. When those came who were hired about the 11th hour, identify, he begins with the people that were hired last. They received a denarius. And it goes on in verses 11. After the other people, everybody got a denarius. And verses 11 says, And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But the landowner answered and, and said, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree for a denarius? I'm not going to go over the whole thing, and I'll skip to verses 16. It says, the last will be first, and the first will be last. For many are called, but few are chosen. Why is Jesus using a vineyard to explain the kingdom of God? To me, it seems like from the very beginning, Genesis 1, God makes the earth and makes man. He's doing something to man that man has never seen before. He doesn't ask man to pray. He doesn't ask him to fast. He doesn't ask him to seek anything. The only thing he asks him to do is for him to speak the things that he has put in him into the world. He says, take dominion. Replenish, be fruitful. What happened to that man that even though he was still in the earth, he started encountering almost like a displacement? This is what I'm talking about. After man fell, humanity faced the dilemma. No matter how hard man tried to find an infinite God using finite resources, man could not find God. After we sinned, there was a separation between us and God. 
And the moment this separation happens, it's when Jesus comes in the picture and says, I want to introduce the kingdom, which means what was lost in the very beginning was man operating in his rightful place in the kingdom. Man had lost this ability to be able to fellowship with God at this intimate place. And now he's outside of Eden, which meant the presence of God, and he's operating out of the presence of God. Even though his desire for God was still strong, he could not find God on his own. If you study the Old Testament, you will see man uh, using mountains, water. You see pagans trying to find God in every arena, building towers, trying to reach heaven, and nobody can reach God. But here we have a moment in the New Testament where John puts it in a very interesting way. He says, and the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. For the first time, he is a man walking in the earth full of the kingdom of God. Everything he spoke, it says the demons would flee. Sicknesses were getting healed. Can you imagine the whole army of Rome attacked Jerusalem and killed everyone who was aspiring to be king, but Jesus' mission was not interrupted? There's a purpose that you and I have in today's time. What am I saying? The greatest need for man was identified by what he lost in the beginning. He did not lose his prayer life. He did not lose his religion. He did not lose much about who he was in his mind. What he lost was this constant fellowship with God. Tonight I'm here to tell you that only the kingdom of God can solve man's problem today. What does that look like for us? Matthew 20 Again, what we just read, this is a parable that has set a scene. Now, let me tell you what's going on here. There's so many cities that had already become strong, Sephoris and uh, around Jerusalem. Jesus in in this time, he's in Galilee. And what is going on here is Galilee is dominated by farmers, peasants, artisans, So when Jesus is is ministering, he's not going to the big cities where smart people, philosophers were. He's going to the villages and the cities outside of the big cities, and he's sharing about the kingdom of God to the people who could understand it when he spoke their language. So he's comparing the kingdom of heaven to a vineyard. He's comparing God to a landowner. He's saying, God owns a piece of land. And in that piece of land, he has people he has, he wants to hire to work in that land. And he goes out in the land of these lost people and begins to bring them in few at a time. Those people had the desire to do something, even though they didn't know what that something was. Perhaps these were people that could not find a job in town. Perhaps these were people that were so depressed about what life meant. Perhaps these were people who were sick. Because if you're standing in the marketplace all day hoping someone can hire you, what that simply says is you're not skilled to do anything. 
You don't have skill enough to do something that you could go find a job for. You can do everything that anybody calls you to do whenever they need you. So Jesus is saying, I'm coming for people that have no hope. I'm coming for people that don't have a plan for their life. I'm coming for people that actually are seeking me even in things they don't think they can find me in. You see, in this, Jesus often uses parables, but to me, I don't think that most parables are accurate renderings of real stories. Because what he's talking about is bringing a message in, its, in their context to where they can understand it. Do you know why I believe he didn't go to the big cities to share these kind of things? Because the big city people were the sophisticated people. I'm educated. I have a PhD in agriculture. How are you going to tell me I need help in a, in a vineyard? The big cities depended on the small cities. I come from Africa where the small cities are the ones who actually go in the gardens and dig. And the big cities are the ones who have the money to come and buy the goods. So if I went to a person who just bought the goods and explained what happened, and I'm trying to teach them the kingdom of God, they would not understand what it took the small farmer in the village to plant these apples, put them in bushels, put them by the roadside, and, and then someone comes and buys them. So Jesus is going to where the food basket is, any Jewish person would understand. And Jesus is saying, verily, verily, truly, I tell you, no man can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. He tells this to Nicodemus before that. In Ephesians 2.19, it says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Jesus is teaching about the transformative power that is in him already. He's experienced the kingdom. The kingdom is at work in him. What is he desiring to do? I want to spread it out to people. Whoever was willing to receive, Isaiah says, all those who are thirsty, come to the river, come drink. All you have no money, come to the well, come and drink. I can see what's happening even now. Even in the middle of, of what's going on here at Res Life, what's going on in, in this country right now. Threats of COVID coming back and a different variant is coming back. People are Fear is all over this place. Everybody is worrying about what is tomorrow going to look like because nobody truly knows what the senator is going to say, what the governor is going to say, what is who is going to do. I can hear a, almost a strong wind of strong Christians, strong faith kingdom people saying, I have a king on the throne and his name is Jesus. And no matter what this is looking like, the kingdom of God is at work in my life. Can you imagine with all the death toll that happened last year and this year, you are still here? That's the power of the kingdom. And Jesus is teaching this same ability to these people saying, you know what, I have something for you. Jesus is demonstrating the kingdom to farmers. These are groups. This group contributed over 90% of the entire economy in the Mediterranean. No wonder Solomon says, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much. 
but the abundance of the rich will permit him no sleep. And so Jesus is more interested in these peasants, and he's inviting them to a relationship with Christ. You see, the parables of Jesus helps help the simple, but they weren't very sophisticated for the logical people, because the Word of God is not for the logical. I'll say that again. The Word of God is spiritual. It's not for the logical. Paul says it, Paul puts it this way in Corinthians, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is life. It is strength. It is hope for those who believe. He says he uses the simple things to confine the wise. He uses the foolish things. He uses the weak things of the world to confound the strong things of the world. This is the kind of kingdom that I'm talking about. Why is Jesus demonstrating the kingdom of God? Why wasn't Rome so afraid about what Jesus is talking about here? Because the kingdom that Jesus is talking about, I believe, is the kingdom that's in you and I. His throne being in you and I. How, why do I think that? When he comes back from the grave, when he's risen, he says, I'm going to leave you with the comforter. He, he's going to have the mind of Christ, and that mind of Christ is going to dwell in you richly. I mean, he's going to knock on the door of your heart. He's going to come and live in you. And I truly believe where the king is, that's where the kingdom is. So he's saying that this thing is going to walk from the inside of us outward. So he's giving people an opportunity of a lifetime. Now let's first get real for a moment. Imagine a farmer, he's left his family home, and he has gone to stand in the marketplace. And he's there one hour. Nobody comes to hire him. Two hours, nobody comes. Three hours, nobody comes. Every hour that is passing that he's standing in the marketplace, I can imagine in his heart saying, I can't feed my family tonight. I can't feed my kids tonight. I'm going to be the worst husband ever. I'm going to be the worst wife ever. I'm going to be lost. I don't understand what's going on. The 11th hour, there's still people faithful enough to stand. I put it in my notes. The man standing in the marketplace waiting all day for work showed eagerness to work. Every passing hour, the honor of providing for their household was fading into shame. Perhaps most even left disappointed after they had a few of them. Could you imagine if you're 20 looking for work? You're so eager to preach the gospel. You're so eager to experience what Christ has. And a few of you receive a miracle and the, and the rest don't. Do you keep waiting or do you leave? And you hear, I see people in this story, stayed till the 11th hour. And here's my very first point for tonight. It's faith that sustains the laborer in the kingdom of God. 2 Peter 10, 11 says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort 
to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Abraham did the same thing in Romans 4. It says, For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. These few men that were there in the late hours of the day stayed there all day long because they had one hope. Somebody is going to come and take me and give me what I need to provide for the needs that I have. I don't care if there's nobody left in the market. You know, I have this in my notes. It said, the people's day-long faith was accredited to them as day-long work. That's how the kingdom works. Here the king comes in and is like, I have, I have work for you. I got something that's going to reignite all your gifts in your life and pr produce fruit out of it. This is the kind of faith that shifts our usual self-word focus, God-word. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what your life is going through. Maybe you've lost people close to you. Maybe you know somebody in the, in, in the hospital. Maybe you're the last in the family who is so concerned about man. Maybe you're the last in a certain group. Maybe you've been so concerned about your education in this situation. Maybe you're the last one standing and this is your 11th hour and you're wondering, God, when are you going to come through for me? Notice the people hired earlier did not protest against the people hired later. They protested the pay. When we, when we are not patient enough with the patience of Christ, it's like we are telling God we are worth more than what you're giving us. In the book of Peter, it says, He is patient enough that nobody perishes. When it comes to us, when our patience is on the line, we tell him, if I'm going to wait this long, the pay better be more. I've been a Christian for 40-something years. I deserve more. I've been going to Bible study all my life. I deserve more. How can someone who got saved yesterday receive their miracle? I've been saved 18 years and waiting, and God, you have not done it. Something is wrong with God, right? This is, what, this is what is going on here. He's teaching about the kingdom of God. And he's showing the kingdom of God is not about changing the environments we're in. It's about changing our heart. Everybody that was on that market line, everybody that was on that street that day was looking for work. The one that came at 8 a.m. was looking for work, and the one that came at 5 p.m. was looking for work. Everybody had a need. In the book of Exodus, chapter 16, when talking about manna, it says, those that gathered a little and those that gathered much, nobody lacked. Jesus is demonstrating the kingdom all the way in the Old Testament, and he's teaching the same thing 
right now. Those that walk long and those that walk less have the same grace in this kingdom. Because why? If your heart is transformed by the power of this kingdom, it's not about how much you have worked. It's how great God is. It's about how gracious He is. Because it's in times like this when the church, when the people in the church, we get tested. Jesus tells Peter, you're going to get sifted like wheat. I pray that your faith stays strong. He teaches the disciples to, to pray, our Father in heaven, how will be thy name? Your kingdom come. Your will be done where? In the earth. Who is going to do the will of God in the earth? You and I. And how are we going to do that? Read the next line. It says, you forgive us of our sins so we can do what? We can walk in forgiveness. So the kingdom of God is doing a work in me so my environment is transformed. It's not that my environment and my needs are transformed. Therefore, my heart is transformed. And that's why this parable is really digging into it. The men that were faithful in the first hour and those faithful in the final hour had no reason to boast about their efforts. The ones that worked 11 hours and the ones that worked one hour had no reason to boast. Because the approach of the landowner, the approach of God, he said it earlier, what you need, I'm going to give to you. You have something to do in this earth. You and I have a mission in this world or else we would not be here. One time I used to wonder, for a very long time, I said, God, why, why don't we just take us home when we get saved? Like, I get saved, and I go to heaven immediately. And I kept thinking about it. How about, how about the unsaved people that are staying here and have children? Do you, think, do you think God cares about them? If we got saved once and God took us out, then the people that are born without knowing Christ, that don't have the same desire to be with Christ, would never meet Christ. I started to apologize to God, say, God, forgive my selfishness, because all I have desired is to get out of here. And yet you see a place for me here and now, amidst this chaos, God is saying, David, I have a mission for you. There's people that need to know who I am. There's people that need to know the power of my grace. There's people who need to know the power of forgiveness. There's people that need to know the power that I've put in you to have peace in the middle of chaos. I remember Jonah, I mean, God is sending him to Nineveh, and he has a whole different idea. He decides to go to Tarshish and on his way to a different direction, even the heathen people on that boat discovered there is somebody who doesn't believe what we believe, and, and for the sea to come, we need to get rid of them. You know, somebody the other day said, do you think that was God's plan the whole time? I said, no, the devil didn't want a wrong plan to go on. Because either way, people were going to get saved. <laughs> That's my perspective. And so the heathen people throw casts and they figure out that it was it was Jonah and Jonah is like yes I have sinned my God wanted me to go to Nineveh 
do you realize that in, in everything that Jonah was telling him, he said, throw me over if you want peace. And the Bible goes on to say that the people that were on this boat wanted to know the God of Jonah immediately. They threw out all their gods. They're like, who is this kind of God that could do something like this and torment our gods this way? He must be stronger than our gods. So in the middle of the pain of Jonah, here is the ministry that God is carrying out. People are being saved in the middle of a stone. How about us right now? It's turbulent right now. And it's not just in America, I can tell you that. I'm, I have news from Uganda, from Africa, of things that are happening, famines. People preferring to die of COVID because they can't stay home and stay hungry. Churches are shut down, and there is no internet in everybody's house. So they don't have the opportunity we have to at least get on Facebook and watch a message, be encouraged by your pastor, be encouraged by your leader. And they have to depend on hopefully saying, what I learned last year, the notes that I took in the church, I can read them at home. And can you imagine... <laughs> If we all just got saved and God, and, and God took, up, took us all out that moment on, what kind of chaos would be here? The pain the Father in heaven would be going through. But he desired so much so that us be here. The kingdom of heaven at its inception has the same effect of grace on the people who were late and outcasts, as well as the righteous that started working early. I'll finish with this. Moses worked 120 years of ministry, saw so many miracles, and so did Samuel, but Samuel only worked 52 years. Do you realize they received the same measure of grace extended to them by God? Psalms 99.6 says, Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel was among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. Whatever is right, you will receive. So the kingdom of God, God is saying, whatever is right, whatever the Father sees fit for you, it's not because you deserve it. Because mm -mm. it was about deserving it, we all wouldn't be in this room right now. He says that because of who he is. And that's why the statement of the first shall be last, and the last shall be first, to me, points to the mission of the kingdom of God in me. I may have gotten saved first. And the midst of someone who got saved second, our reward in Christ is the same. My reward in Christ is the same as my son's reward in Christ. My future in Christ is the same as your future in Christ. We're all in the body of Christ. And that's why Paul says in, in, in Ephesians, blessed be our Father God and Savior, who has called us, quickened us by His Spirit, united us with His body, 
in the suffering and the fellowship. Him the head and we the body. In other words, whatever situation I'm in, if, if Christ is the head, Christ is in the situation with me. If I'm going through whatever sickness it is, Christ is with me. Even it says, oh death, where is your sting? Oh death, where is your victory? Why is he saying that? Because Christ overcame the power of death so that we may go through death and not be limited by it. I want to close with this. God is at work here at Res Life. God is at work in your life. And the greatest desire that our Father in heaven has is our ability to reproduce His kingdom in our acquaintances, in our relationships, in the moment that hurt the most. I see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in agony. I truly believe that Garden of Gethsemane was more painful than the cross itself. Before he shares this parable, he's talking about divorce and, and, and marriage. He's dealing with what the people thought they knew about who God was. And he's challenging the status quo that God is not interested in how hard you work. He's interested in the work you're doing for him, the work that he's doing through you, your ability to forget yourself, to present yourself as a living sacrifice and say, God, it's no longer I who lives, but you who lives in me. There's a song that we used to sing back home that says, I don't know what tomorrow holds. But as, no, as, as long as God is in it, it's a good day for me. If you don't mind, get up on your feet. And we're going to pray together. If you're watching us online and this message was good for you, you felt like you want to know this kind of kingdom, you want to unite with this God, even if you're in this room, pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the blood that you shed on the cross of Calvary. We thank you for the victory over sickness. We thank you that we're walking in the resurrected power. We thank you that we are born again and that your kingdom is alive in us today. Through your might name, Father God, I pray. Amen. You may be blessed.